I don't want to stand here. Oh, I want to play over there. Be quiet. He's about to take me. Get in line. Shell, come on over here. We're going to miss out. Stand still, guys. Cake. It's time for cake. Culture and arts for kids and everyone. Do we have everyone? Great. You see, over there now, there are a couple of hooded crows. Do you like nature programmes on TV with wild animals in them? Because today, we're going to talk to somebody who photographs those animals for his job. Hay coloured grass and one tree in the middle. And, and we're going to challenge Tig to write a poem all about the wild with a bit of help from Rick O'Shea. But before that, did you know that when cavemen and cave women first came to Ireland, one of the places they lived was Loch Bora in County Offaly? And today, you can visit Loch Bora and see where people lived thousands of years ago. And there's also a park full of big outdoor pieces of art called sculptures. Marcus and Nathaniel decided to go to Loch Bora, but before they went, they looked at the website so they could plan their trip. Lochbora.com. Nice. I want to see that sculpture. Mark a circle to 60 degrees. I want to see those triangles. I'm picking the Bora Pyramid. Shall we go, Marcus? Yeah, if you want to. Dad, we want to go to Lochbora. here. I'm just getting a ticket. Trees I found a sign. A sign. A map and pictures. Sculpture Park walking route is 3.3 kilometers. We're getting and closer. We're looking for the sculpture of the triangles. And we found the dog train. What is a sculpture? A sculpture is a thing that someone could make inside or outside. And some of them can be made out of paper, clay, rocks, wood and uh, metal. Now we're crossing the bridge. Whoa. Whoa. That looks deep. Degrees. Hmm. There's a picture of him um, standing in the triangle. It's kind of like a pattern because it's wood, metal, and wood. And there's three triangles all beside each other. Let's go find the next one, Marcus. Okay. 
Except it's made of rocks. The rocks are slippy today, so definitely don't climb it, Marcus. I won't. Let's go find out who made it. Eileen McDonough, Bora Pyramid, 8 metres wide and 6 metres high. Made in 2002. Gosh, that's five years older than me. And me. Now we're going to try and find the secret microphone. Somebody hit it and pressed record. Let's listen to the sound and see if we can guess where the secret microphone is hidden. Hmm, what makes that noise? We'll tell you later. Cake! Do you like animals? Do you ever take photographs of animals? Or do you ever watch nature shows on TV where you can see animals in the wild? I wonder what it would be like to be a camera woman or a cameraman working on those shows. I bet it's really difficult because if you make too much noise or if the animals smell you, they might run away and then you'd be all alone in the jungle. Or if it's a really scary animal like a bear or a jaguar or a rhinoceros, they might attack you but I guess at least you wouldn't be alone. We met a man who photographs animals for TV shows. His name is Colin Stafford Johnson. And he told us that if you ever want to photograph an otter, there's a special trick for finding them. You see, over there now, there are a couple of hooded crows. Now, hooded crows and a heron, that is a really good sign. They tend to follow otters because when otters catch fish and eels and things like that, they're actually very messy eaters and they just eat the bits that they like. So the crows and the herons will follow them around, waiting for them to leave their bits of meals behind. So if you keep looking, there's a little island over there. There, you see? Otter. The crows and the heron told me that she was there. When you're a wildlife camera person, you've got to learn about the world that these animals operate in. If you're walking through the woods and you hear a bird making a fuss, that means there's a predator around. You see at the end of that little jetty, there's a place where I'll put up a hide, like a little canvas hide. And I will leave that there for probably about a week, so she will get completely used to that being there. So the secret is to be hidden. I'll have to make sure that the wind is moving in the right direction because otters have a great sense of smell, so I'm going to have to be downwind from her. Even though by the week's time, I can then hopefully come along and film away. A wildlife cameraman spends an awful lot of time just waiting for things to happen. I have filmed all over the world, but my least successful trip of all time was I was working for a series called Planet Earth for the BBC and I was sent to Guyana, a country in South America. I travelled 200 miles up an uninhabited river and it took us about a week to get on location. I was sent there to film Jaguar. I spent four months living under a tarpaulin with just some porridge and rice to eat and that sort of stuff and then we had to hunt and, and, and fish. 
and was like getting to a place where the animals were not scared of people. I remember once there was a day I was standing in this river in Guyana waiting for a jaguar to turn up. I have never been any place where there were so many teeth. Every fish in that river had these enormous teeth. So when you're standing there with your camera, you have to be careful where you put your feet. And when you've been shocked by an electric eel, you don't forget it in a hurry. I just got one, and not a full whack, but it's pretty sore. And once when I got out of my hammock one day, when I went to put my foot into my shoe, my foot wouldn't go in. And I thought, oh, have I left my socks in there or something? Or what's happened? And then I sort of pulled back the flap and I thought there's something in there. Initially, I thought it was a rat. And then I saw one long, hairy leg begin to emerge. And it was the world's biggest spider. The Goliath bird-eating spider. The size of a dinner plate. An enormous thing. If he was facing the right direction, I could have gotten a hell of a bite. And after four months' work, not one single shot made it into the final project. Wow. A Goliath bird-eating spider. I am definitely not asking for one of those for my birthday. I hope you got a photograph of it. They sound scary. <laughs> Speaking of spiders, everyone knows that Spider-Man can shoot webs out of his arms. But did you know that real spiders shoot webs out of glands, which are just beside their bum? So, if they wanted to make the Spider-Man movie really realistic, Spider-Man should shoot webs from his underpants. But that would look kind of weird, to be honest. So I'm glad they don't do that. When I was a kid, I really wanted to see a Spider-Man movie set in Ireland. But then I realised, we don't have skyscrapers in Ireland. So, if Spider-Man came here, he'd probably just go around and around on the spire, which would be a pretty boring movie. Where the Wild Things Are is a book about a little boy called Max who's sent to bed with no supper. But in his bedroom, he builds a boat and sails far away to a land where the wild things are. And he becomes their king and makes lots of noise. And the man who wrote the book was called Mara Sendak. And when he was a boy, he went to bed with no supper all the time because he didn't like his mummy's cooking. And that's where he got the idea. And he based the wild things on older people in his family. And Mara Sendak started out drawing pictures for other people's books until one day his boss, Ursula Nordstrom, said, Morris, why don't you write your own story and draw the pictures? So Morris said, OK, how about a book called Where the Wild Horses Are? And she said, that's a brilliant name. Write that and I'll turn it into a book. So Morris wrote where the wild horses are. But he had one problem. He didn't know how to draw horses. And when he told his boss, she said, Morris, we can't do a book called Where the Wild Horses Are if you can't draw any horses, you big silly billy. (sighs) What can you draw? And he said, uh, things? So now you know why the book is called Where the Wild Things Are. Have you ever written a poem? 
Some people think writing poems is really hard because everything has to rhyme. My cat is very fat. He ate a whole raspberry. That didn't rhyme, but it's still kind of a poem. Anyway, we challenged Tig to write a poem about nature and the wild, and he got a little bit of help from Ricochet. Okay, so Tig, the theme is going to be Into the Wild. How do you feel about this? Well, scared that we might get one word. Close your eyes and think about the wild. And what's the first thing that comes into your head? Hay-coloured grass and one tree in the middle and loads of cheetahs stalking some buffaloes. Okay, set the scene for me in the first line. From grass, warm trees, the birds are at a breeze. How about the birds are on the breeze? Okay. That's um, I like putting something in so I can feel like I'm part of this. Do you want to maybe start thinking about the cheetahs somewhere in the distance making some... Try closing your eyes again and see if that works. The cheetahs are stalking their prey. It's going to happen. It's going to finish very quickly if we do that. Warm grass, warm trees. No, I have an idea. Wait. Somewhere in the distance. Far. Away. The cheetahs... Okay. Stalk their prey. Now we're talking. Why is poetry so complicated? This is a whole four lines we've done in five minutes. This is brilliant. It works better when you like just you think of something first and then I can add on to it. Excellent. I think they're going to head for the buffaloes now. Try the closing your eyes thing again. It really worked well last time. Down by the river, the buffalo here. Yeah, oh, no, 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 that's good. That's good. We can have the line run on from one onto the next. Okay, so down by the river. So what do the buffalo hear? That they're not safe here. Interesting. Down by the river. Might we need to make that a little bit longer. Just I think the buffalo should get away in the end. Yeah. David Amber would put it much differently, but if you want to put it that way, he would. I am. I am not David Amber. I'm going to say, I'm throwing the rules out, we're going to cheat, we're going to give two more lines here at the end. Oh, but we got to ta- have a title. We do. In the long grass. I think it's imagine- imaginative. Is that a word? Yeah. We're good at this, we should do a radio show together. Okay. okay. In the long grass, by Rick O'Shea and Ty Cordell. Warm grass, warm trees. The birds are on a breeze. Somewhere in the distance, far away, the cheetahs stalk their prey. Down by the river, the buffaloes hear that they're no longer safe here. The cheetahs sprint, the buffalo run, the cheetahs fail on their plan. The herd buck and get away, and the cheetahs will be back some other day. Yay! That's it. Poem number one of a long, long career. Let's listen to the secret microphone one more time and see if you can work out where it is. Do you think that was the sound of waves crashing on the beach or a monkey in a purple coat dancing on top of a dishwasher? (laughs) If you said waves crashing on the sea, you're absolutely right. And if you said a monkey in a purple jacket... Dancing on top of a dishwasher, you are very silly. That monkey is clearly wearing a blue coat, not a purple one. (laughs) Now it's time for... (sighs) The Boring Adult Dish. Features this week were compiled by Louise Denver, 
Garrett Daly and Emma Power. Martina McGlynn produced, Noel Roberts was on sound, and I'm A.B. Philbin Bowman. We will talk to you next week. Have a good week. Bye.